It's good to see everybody today. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we welcome you this morning. If you're attending with other family members uh, this Thanksgiving uh, week, and then we're just uh, grateful to have you all here today. <clears throat> I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 5 this morning, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I feel like my mic needs to go up just slightly, just very little bit, guys. Help me out a little bit this morning. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I'll read aloud from the New King James Version this morning. If you'd follow along in whatever copy of God's Word you have uh, with you today. This is the Word of the Lord for us today from Second Thessalonians. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the Word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. After I pray, I'd like to share with you a message this morning entitled, Look to the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, I thank You today that we can look to the Lord. That because of Jesus Christ, Your Son, who left His home in heaven, came to this earth, humbled himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. He became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. And Lord, that he has been given a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, Father, that we can see and know Jesus as Lord now and worship Him now as Lord. I thank you for the benefits of looking to the Lord that we see from this passage. And I pray, Father, now that you'd give me grace to deliver your word to your people. Use it to form our men, women, boys and girls into the people of God you would have them to be. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look to the Lord. To begin this message, I actually want to read uh, Psalm 121. You don't have to turn there, but I'd like to read it aloud in our hearing today. In Psalm 121, the psalmist writes, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. 
The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth even for, and even forevermore. That was Psalm 121. So much in that psalm is, uh, seems to be relative to what we're looking at today from Second Thessalonians. And you almost wonder sometimes if the Apostle Paul or other New Testament writers had some of these psalms in their minds while they were writing the New Testament. The Holy Spirit inspiring them, of course, to write, but using the minds and the knowledge that they have to do so. As we work through this passage today, I want to point out to you that the word, the two words, the Lord, are found four times in five verses. That stuck out to me as I was looking at this. You see it in verse 1, the word of the Lord. And then in verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. And then in verse 4, he says at the beginning of it, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. And then finally, now may the Lord direct your hearts. He doesn't, he's not elaborate. He doesn't use a lot of words and titles and names for Jesus Christ or for God the Father in these verses. He just calls him the Lord, as we might often do ourselves in our conversations about God or about Jesus, talking about him, saying the Lord, well, he did this and the Lord he did that, and well, may the Lord be with you. And the apostle here is pointing them more and more and more constantly to the Lord. So we'll work through this passage together today. And I really want to see from this, I hope to show you what looking to the Lord means for us as a church, for Christians individually, and for what it would have meant to the Thessalonians. Perhaps as we go through this, we might ask ourselves, what, um, what does my looking to the Lord look like? Does it look anything like what the Apostle Paul uh, describes and instructs here in 2 Thessalonians 3? The first thing that we see is we look to the Lord in prayer. The um, Apostle begins here in verse 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us. That song, I, don't, I guess it's a gospel song is what you would call it. Um, I don't know how old it is, but it says, Standing in the Need of Prayer. You remember that one? It says something like, not, not my mother, not my father, not my brother, not my sister. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And as Paul begins this right here in chapter 3, he doesn't say it's the Philippians, the Thessalonians, the Ephesians. Or the Galatians, he says, it's me who stands in the need of prayer. It's us who stands in the need of prayer. Those men and women who were out on the front lines taking the gospel out to the world who had not heard it before. Fellow workers in the gospel. Perhaps he's talking here specifically about the men who were the apostles taking the gospel out. Whether that be apostles who were appointed by God, by Jesus or apostles who were appointed by the church, sent by the church to preach the gospel. But he says, brethren, pray for us. And in this, he gives two, in these next two verses, verse 1 and 2, he gives two points of prayer that he needs. You can find these when you find the word that. The word that, y'all see that in verse 1? Finally, brethren, pray for us that. 
And then you can go to verse 2 and you see the second point, at least the indicator there, and that. So the word that here is indicating the two points of prayer. Let's see the first one. The first one is that he prays or he asks them to pray for them concerning the word of the Lord. Here's what he asks for in that, in verse 1, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. You might have heard me pray that probably often here. This is exactly where it comes from, from this verse. As I will pray at times that the, word, that the Lord would bless His word as it goes out, as it's preached. We think about all the different areas and ways in which the word of God goes out around here. It goes out through through reading it, like we've seen this morning in the Old Testament and the New Testament being read. We, we know it goes out through small groups, Sunday school, whatever you want to call it, where it's taught. Um, it goes out through our prayers as we pray the word of God, the preaching of the word. We share the word of God with one another. The word of God goes out in your own personal lives, I hope, as you read the scriptures yourself on a very regular basis. And take that word in. The word of God is proclaimed and is sent forth in many different ways. And the desire of the apostle here as they were taking the word out, preaching the gospel, is that that word would not be hindered, but that it would run swiftly. And that it would be honored. That it would be glorified. I, was, I noticed in the reading of the Psalms, I don't know, a couple of years ago, maybe last year, I'm not exactly sure when. But in Psalm 147, verse 15, it says this. And I wrote Psalm 147, verse 15, right above verse 1 in 2 Thessalonians. Here's what it says. It says, He sends out His command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. Again, I wonder. Even though the word swiftly is implied in the New King James Version, and some of yours doesn't have that. The idea here is, is that the word of the Lord is moving forward, that it is moving with speed, and that it is making a difference in the lives of those who hear it. Also, in 2 Timothy chapter one, chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. And it's not. You see, the Apostle Paul even found himself in a Roman prison. He was under house arrest, perhaps chained chained to a guard at times, but that did not stop the word of God. In the book of Philippians, at the end of it, after he had told about being, you know, being there and under a house arrest, he says that the brethren from Caesar's household greets you. How in the world did Caesar's household hear about the word of the Lord? Hear about the gospel and then greet the church. It's because even though the apostle was chained there in Rome, that did not stop the the word, the gospel from moving forward. And um, he prays, he asked the Thessalonians rather, that they would pray for him and for them. That this word of the Lord, the gospel, would continue to run swiftly, that it would be honored. The Bible also says something that is striking to me in Psalm 138, verse 3, that I would like to connect with the part there where it says that the word of God be glorified. 
In Psalm 138, verse 3, it says this, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you, you Lord, you God, have magnified your word above all your name. I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe it's because it's through the word that the truth and the loving kindness of God is made known. Maybe it's through the word that God is known, that his name is known. But God has magnified his word above all of his name. Therefore, should not that word be glorified? Should we not pray that his word be glorified among those who hear it? That it be honored among those who hear it. And it was around among the Thessalonians. If you turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Way back. We've covered some ground over the last couple of months. But if you go back to 1 Thessalonians 1. You know he ends that chapter 3 verse 1 saying just as it is with you. Look back at 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5. He says there for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And then verse 6, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. And then in chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. He asked prayer that the word of the Lord would do these things. I want to ask you this morning, what effect is the word of God having in your life? Maybe in the days leading up to today, but to today. While you're sitting there today listening to me trying to proclaim your word, I mean, not your word, the word of the Lord. What kind of difference does it make? How do you view it? Do you view it as Eric just being up here saying some stuff to y'all and you can't wait for this to be over with? Or do you view it as that guy up there, no matter who it is, he's proclaiming what God has said. And you see, it can start right there. The word running swiftly and the word being glorified, it starts with how we hear the word. It's important that we hear the word carefully. The Bible even says in the, in the Gospels, take heed how you hear. It begins right there with the word running swiftly and being glorified. But the second point we see in this from verse 2 is that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith. That was the second prayer request. 
So the first thing he's praying for is for the word of the Lord. Second thing he's praying for really is for the workers of the Lord. And I know both of those are really for the workers of the Lord because you know how the word of God gets out? It gets out through the workers of the Lord. The men, women who are taking the Bible out. We should not rely upon dreams and visions for the gospel to be communicated to people in the world. We should know that the Bible has been given to us, the gospel has been given to us, the church, to take it to the ends of the world that they might hear the gospel and be saved. That's the means by which God has appointed for his gospel to go out. And so he says here, and Paul, you know, he's being real. Even though the Apostle Paul knows that we... Well, what does he say in Ephesians 6? Do we battle against flesh and blood or against spiritual powers? Which one is it? Spiritual powers. Ephesians chapter 6. You know, uh, he, he knows that. The Apostle knows that. But at the same time, uh, he wants to be delivered from, from these people. And there's two types of people that he wants to be delivered from. He wants to be delivered... And not that they're different people, they're probably the same people, these two different characteristics. The New King James Version says that they are unreasonable and wicked men. And then he says, for not all have faith. Now, let's see if we can see some examples of this. Just take your Bibles and turn back to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. You can see unreasonableness and wickedness. Unreasonableness is uh, seems to be, you know, this... Ability to do evil and wickedness, the the wickedness part, it seems to have connected to it the idea of leading others along to do wickedness. So in Acts 17, y'all know what happens here, right? This is where he is in Thessalonica. This is where he goes there, they go there and preach the gospel. Uh, Let's let's see what happens. Um, In verse 3, well, verse 2, Acts 17, verse 2, then Paul as his custom was, went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Verse 4, And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So a great multitude there in Thessalonica. Verse 4, but the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jacob, Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. All right. So you can see unreasonableness and wickedness right there in Thessalonica. Turn over to Acts 18, not far away. Next chapter. Um, Paul is in Corinth. Now, it's probably here from Acts 18 where he wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. So he's just a chapter removed, and he's already writing back to them. Even though it's longer than that, he was there in Corinth for a year and a half. So during that time is when he probably wrote these two letters. All right, so let's take a look at this, starting at verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, 
he shook his garments and said, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Verse 7. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain uh, man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next to the door of the synagogue. Verse 8 talks about Crispus believing. Now we'll jump to verse 9. Believing and they were baptized. Verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now, what you'll find is, in verses 12 through 17, there are people who still got in an uproar about Paul and his ministry. All right, so he's writing to them, to the Thessalonians here, saying, asking that they would be delivered from these people who are unreasonable, from these people who are wicked, uh, because he faced them constantly. Turning back to Second Thessalonians. In chapter 3. Guys, I need you all to go up with my mic just a little bit more. My voice is weak this morning. I guess all that turkey and ham this past week is getting to me a little bit. Alright, so <clears throat> look at this at, at, at the end of... Verse 2, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable wicked men for what? Not all have what? Faith. Here's what I'd point out to you. Faith changes one's unreasonableness and wickedness. The thing that Paul attributed here was not the depravity of these people and how terrible they are and the potential that they have for wickedness. Because that's true of every one of us apart from Jesus Christ and the gospel. And the thing that was really hindering these people was not that they were so bad. It was that they did not have faith. And I just want to point out to you today, and I guess ask you the question, has your faith changed your unreasonableness and your wickedness? I hope that it has, and I know that it has, and is continuing to do so. The reason we aren't grouped in, the, in those people who are opposing the gospel is simply by the grace of God that we might have faith in the gospel of God to save us from our sins and to give us a new life in Him. That's it. Not all have faith. Point number two is this. <clears throat> Look to the Lord, for He is faithful. This is found in verse 3. Look to the Lord, for He is faithful. But the Lord is faithful, it says. So you see where I get my point from. But the Lord is faithful. So Paul here is not really saying to them to look to the Lord, but he himself is looking to the Lord. And he realizes about the Lord that the Lord is faithful. And the Lord's going to do two things. Who will, in his faithfulness, establish? So he knows about these Thessalonians. He's desiring this for them. And he believes that the Lord who is faithful, even though there is a world of men who are not faithful, there is one 
who is always faithful, who never changes, who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. It is the Lord who is faithful. Even when we are faithless, He remains faithful. And Paul here knows that this Lord who is faithful will, for the Thessalonians, establish them or strengthen them and guard them or keep them from the evil one. He'd already prayed for them at the end of chapter 2, verse 17, that the Lord would comfort your hearts and establish you, strengthen you in every good word and work. Here he wants the Lord to establish them and guard them from the evil one. This is similar to what the Lord Jesus Christ prayed in his high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 15. He prayed there that God would keep the disciples from the evil one. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, the, the one who keeps himself... Um, is kept from the wicked one and the and he keeps himself from sin and the wicked one does not touch him so there is this reality of the devil you all know that probably here in about three weeks i'm going to uh, share with you a message on how the devil uh, seeks to destroy a church and this is going to be a spinoff from first thessalonians and second thessalonians but we're going to look at some other passages in Scripture to, to make sure we're educated on this reality. The evil one, the devil, the tempter. And in, in 1 Thessalonians, the, the devil had actually hindered the disciples, or Paul, from going back to the Thessalonians. And in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul was con concerned that the tempter had tempted the Thessalonians. Here, he's trusting in God, the Lord, to establish and guard them from this evil one. All right, let's go to point number three. Excuse me. Point number three. All right. So... This third point is we look to the Lord in confidence. We look to the Lord in confidence. Let's see it in verses 4 and 5. And we have confidence in the Lord. So you see where I get my point again. You, we, and we have confidence in the Lord. So we look to the Lord in confidence concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. All right. Now, if you look down at verse 6, you notice here that he says, but we command you. And then you can go down to verse 10. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. And then in verse 12. But those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ. So they had commanded them. They had given them specific instructions about church life, how they were to deal with certain situations, how they were to think biblically about them. And those are commands that are given to the church from the apostles. We might not would like that kind of language today if somebody commanded us to do something. And maybe rightfully so. But we must like it from the Bible, from what God has said in His Word. You might not like what a man says to you to command you, but you must like what God has said to command us. And these commands came through the apostles, 
came through the writers of Scripture. And when we hear it, we must realize that it is not a suggestion, it is not a recommendation, but it is a command from the Lord for us to the the church. So, the first thing is that when Paul's thinking about this, these commands and them doing it, and really this in obedience, he's not confident here in them doing it. He's confident here in the Lord doing it in them. There's a huge difference. He did not trust in the arm of flesh, which is weak, but in the arm of God, which cannot be bent. You see, he says we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. Both that you do, that means they're currently doing it, and will do the things we command you. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Y'all see it in there? What a great perspective on life. What a great perspective on church and obedience. Second thing you see here in verse 5 is that he's confident in the Lord that the Lord would direct your hearts. He says in verse 5, Now... May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. They had not yet arrived in that. If you, I think about Psalm, um, hymn 157. When you think about the love of God, and you may think, well, yeah, I know about the love of God. I know, I know John 3.16 and... How God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Sure, I'm aware aware of that. I'm aware of the love of God. Surely these Thessalonians know about the love of God as well through the gospel. What more is there to know? Now think about the hymn, The Love of God. And a couple of the lines in it say this, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The last line says, Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. The love of God. He wanted the God to, to direct their hearts into it and also into something else. What's the last thing he wanted them to direct? He wanted God to direct their hearts into or the Lord to direct their hearts into. The what? Steadfastness or patience of Christ. That's exactly right. Christ who endured 
um, hostility of sinners against himself. Yet he did so looking to the reward. Perhaps these Thessalonians needed to know more and more of that patience and steadfastness of Christ to endure the uncertainty of their days, but yet to do so knowing the faithfulness and the goodness of God. That's all the outline. Now I just want to give a couple of points of summary. I want to give one looking at this text from a pastoral point of view and the second from a parental point of view. All right? There's nothing to write down on this. Just ask you to think about this with me. From a pastoral point of view, even a small church like New Life Baptist Church uh, can be overwhelming at times to care for the needs and the responsibilities of this flock, the spiritual needs. And I think about, and I'll just give you this as an example. Um, Let's say that we have members or a member or whatever who uh, does not regularly attend, though they ought to. There's nothing keeping them from it. And they may be exhorted to do so. They may be encouraged to do so. They may be asked to do so. They may be tried to love them to do so. But there comes a point in the life of a pastor or anybody who's shepherding the flock, any, any elders who are shepherding the flock, where, whoa, and I find myself praying this sometimes for some of our number. Lord, they're yours. I've done as much as I can do. I've done everything that I know to do. Lord, if there's anything else that I should do, please let me know. Please show me. But Lord, ultimately these are yours. And I ask you to work in them. To will and to do for your good pleasure. Please, Father, I commit them to you. And I ask you to move them to do your will. That's a pastoral point of view. And that's maybe a... Silly example, I don't know if it is or not, but it's real. Because humanly speaking, there's only so much that man can do. We must always rely upon the Lord, even in our efforts of obedience. Secondly, a parental point of view. I want to ask you to think about everything that we've read here today and looked at from a parental point of view. Because, you know, if you have children... You, you might get this. You should. If you don't have children, you may, ha- you may one day, so put this in your back pocket because you might need it. But think about everything that we've read in light of your kids. Do you want the Word of the Lord to run swiftly through your children's witness and testimony and faithfulness? Yes. So we pray, Lord, let Your Word run swiftly through my children. Do you want your children to be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men? I mean, does anybody want that? Lord, please deliver my children from unreasonable and wicked men as they seek to do your will. 
Do you want your children to be strengthened and guarded from the evil one? So you want them not only to be um, delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, but you want them to be delivered. You want them to be established, strengthened, so that they can stand in the midst of trials and tribulations. But at the same time, you want them to be kept, guarded, protected from the devil. So what must we do? Run after them and follow them everywhere that they go and get Life 360 on their phones so that we can know exactly what's going on all the time in their life. I'm not saying don't do that. But I'm telling you, there's only so much you can do, parents. You have to trust the Lord with your children and pray to the Lord to establish them and to guard them from the evil one. In the next verse, let me ask you, do you want your children to obey the Bible? If anybody here who has kids wants your child to do that, would you just say amen? Most of you, all of you who have kids, can you make them do that? You can't. So where does our confidence have to lie? In the Lord. And we can say with the Apostle Paul, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. Listen, with our children, we can sometimes want to pick the fruit for it when it's still green. And we shouldn't do that. The fruit's still green, so we don't pick it then. We're not, we're not saying it's done, they've arrived, because we know that they haven't. Because we really, if we were look at ourselves, we'd know we haven't even arrived. So we let that fruit ripen, and we know that the Lord is developing them. We have confidence in the Lord that He's developing them into the people He wants them to be. For His glory and for His namesake. And the last one, verse 5. Well, it's self-explanatory, isn't it? We desire that the Lord would direct our children's hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Because in this world in which we live in, it is not friendly to the gospel. It is not for Christ. When you go to school, university, whatever, college, You're going to be there and you will be in a place, children will be, where it will be opposed very much to the gospel, to the truth of God's word. And as they go out into this world, into the workplace or wherever they might be, it is our prayer that God would direct their hearts, their affections, their desires, that which is within them that cannot be changed because God has done it and that it would be such that they love God and know His love. And they hold up. They are patient through the trials of this life because they know the patience and steadfastness of Christ. Uh, I pray that that's helpful to you. And I pray that all of us remember here today, because I do not know the spiritual condition of every single individual here, but I want you to know that only through the gospel of Jesus, the one who died for our sins, 
was buried and rose again on the third day, alive from the dead. He now sits at the right hand of God and gives everlasting life to those who, no, not those who are good people. No, not those whose good deeds outweigh their bad deeds. No, to those who believe in Him. I ask you today, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? His death, burial, and resurrection to save you from your sins. If you've never done that, I pray you will today. And I pray then from that point you will go on to experience much of what we've looked at today. And view life and the spiritual life and your brothers and sisters and your family even from this lens. Let us go to Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for allowing me to get through this um, message and to deliver it to your people. I thank you, Lord, for being the Lord. And that as we live our lives, we do not live them unto ourselves. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. For we know that to this end, Christ both died and rose again and lives that He might be Lord of both the dead and the living. I pray, Father, simply this, that every person here would acknowledge and know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In His name I pray. Amen.